Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Good morning, everyone. This is Leanne, Leanne Nguyen calling you, talking to you from uh, Brooklyn in New York. Um, we have, uh, you and I, three weeks left, three episodes left, including the one today together. In the meantime, the U.S. Uh, federal government is still um, shut down with no end in sight. And um, what to do today? You know, I guess I, I'm very glad that um, those of you who have been following me are still with me. I'm very thankful for that and very glad for those of you who just recently joining the conversation. So let's uh, suspend our attention to the madness that's going on right now in this country and let's just talk. Uh, Last week, I ended with the urging that we think together about the question of how to practice kindness and how to wield tenderness. Now, I use these words practice and wield deliberately. Um, I use these words deliberately because, you know, I know firsthand the power of language, the importance of choosing your words. Uh, And this is not a kind of understanding that fuels the sensibility of political correctness, which I don't really understand uh, being a non-native speaker also, a non-American. Political correctness and trigger sensitivity are, in my mind, informed by an understanding and an admonishment of how words can destroy, how language can be used to erase a person. But really, my grasp of how a person or an entire population can be erased uh, is, is gleaned not from watching the destructive power of words, but from knowing of destructiveness um, by bombs, by napalm fires, uh, the, the political calculations of white men, the, the sanitizing bloodless discourse of intellectuals and politicians that in fact translates into bloody dehumanizing actions on the field, in the village, on the sea. Actual actions that actually kill and rob you of your best friends or of your wife's life, not just words that trigger bad feelings or that make you feel a lesser human being. No, my grasp of the power of language is confirmed, is gleaned, is earned from the hard practice of having to rely on words to reach other people. Sometimes people who do not speak my native language people who refuse to hear my plea and my life depends on their hearing me, my words. I told you last week my first inkling of the power of language, the first time ever in my life that I saw how language is such a vital bridge to my fellow humans was on that beach in Malaysia when I pleaded to the Malaysian soldier 
Uncle, please help me with this old lady. I said that, of course, in the only tongue that I knew because I was 12, 13 and had never, uh, you know, stepped outside the boundaries of my home country. I just said instinctively because I thought at that time that that was all that was needed to reach this man who could help me. Chú ơi chú, chú giúp cho con đỡ bà già này được không chú? It went nowhere. Now, in France and then later in England, I learned that a carefully placed word, a well-crafted phrase, a well-spiced accent can turn things around. You can go from being seen as an invisible, pathetic creature to becoming a respectable, even impressive entity. People can go from scorning you or pitying you to wanting to make love to you on just the power of your language. You know, and I so I continued to wield that power towards life. Um, I would never forget another moment, and this is now when I'm a grown professional uh, woman. I, I I had testified at the immigration courthouse a couple of years ago for this uh, journalist who had fled um, the Congo after being gang raped um, and almost killed uh, for her political activism. So she came here, you know, this was when she could still, people could still come to this country and ask for asylum uh, in a, a legitimate, decent way. So she came and asked for asylum, and there was a, gruel, a grueling uh, hearing at the courthouse uh, about her credibility, and she had to testify in details about, you know, all the rapes that she had endured. And, um, you know, in the course of her uh, application for asylum, which had taken years, uh, she had fallen in love with a man here and gotten pregnant by him, um, and then he just promptly abandoned her. And so mother and, and, and baby had been living in a homeless shelter while awaiting for the decision from the U.S. government. So, you know, my, my patient held it together, you know, being under cross uh, for a couple of hours. And when the judge finally said, you know, on behalf of the U.S. government, I believe you and I grant you, I offer you protection in this country. It was then that I think the dam broke and she just went into what I think was some kind of epileptic seizure. I think all the things that she had held together just came crashing down and, and she was convulsing um, and, and saying in her native tongue, you know, qu'est-ce que je vais faire maintenant? Qu'est-ce que je vais faire maintenant avec ma fille? You know, what will I do now? What will I do now with my daughter? And I, you know, EMS was called and everybody didn't know, nobody knew what to do. And again, instinctively, I came to her, you know, and I reached down and just touched her cheek. And I said, moi aussi, j'étais une petite fille avec ma mère. On s'est débrouillé, vous savez. Regardez-moi maintenant. Elle sera bien votre fille. Vous allez survivre. Vous allez vivre, vous deux. I said to her that. I said... Me too. I used to be a little girl with my mother. We managed. Look at me now. And I said that to her as she was convulsing. She will be okay, your daughter. You will survive. You too will live. And it reached her, you know, because her body relaxed and she got herself together and went off um, to the ER. What words can do, huh? 
my work now. It's all about language. I rely on words to reach my people, to show myself to them, to let them know my reality, to reach into theirs, to connect with them, to let them know how they have touched me, to let them know how I love them. A word, the right word, can open things up and restore the bridge between two human beings. I tell my daughter, I love you. (laughs) And she says back, I adore you. You see the beauty and the power and the kindness of language. How a few words can confirm all of your life's longings and send you off to a good day. Language is the distinguishing characteristic of our species. When we acquire language, we are given a powerful, amazing tool to join in and make an impact on the community of humans. We reach others with language. We reveal our desire and fear and all the longings and imperfections of our inner world when we speak to another person when we speak to another person. You know, you don't realize how much of yourself you put into the words that you say, into the stories that you share with the other person until that that mechanism, that tool fails. You know, what do you think is the most common despairing cry that would issue to one another? You don't understand You just don't get it, right? Why can't you just listen? You know, uh, the philosopher uh, Ludwig uh, Wittgenstein said something along the line of, um, you know, you reveal yourself through your language. The the limits of your your language uh, reveal the limits of your world. Um, Similarly, in our century, you know, Anne Carson, the poet and classicist, uh, writes a lot about uh, language, about the edge of desire that hides in language. I understand this to mean that we rely on language to bridge the gap between desire, our internal world, our desire, and reality, the external world, others. The gap between our little internal self, our little internal world and the outside external world of other people, between oneself and the other person, it is an attempt, only an attempt, to bridge the gap, an endless, irresistible, valiant attempt that, you know, starts out when we're two or three years of age, it starts out with, look at me, mom, you know, listen, Why? Why? Can you do this for me? Let me tell you something. You know, can you see? Can you see? Can you understand? And then go on and on and on. That desire to be seen and heard, that effort to reach for connection continues through life. Does it not? Think about it. That is what makes us human. And the natural responsiveness to that request is what makes us human. That desire is what brought me to you on this show in these past nine-odd months. And the bridge that language affords, which is completely wedded to my history of, of, of migration and through and through imbued with my longings and learnings, that bridge of language is what allows me to be here today attempting to reach you. 
That is how we make it. We respond to each other's cry for connection. Each time we offer a tiny bit of ourselves to each other, each time that we do that, we get exposed to a tiny bit of the reality of the other person. Each time that we speak, truly speak to each other, we create an opening. And each time that we agree to listen to each other, we expand the limits of our world a tiny bit. And thus, we grow and live. We get altered a tiny bit as we take in a tiny bit of each other's humanity. And often, that's enough, as I learned in that courthouse. Ah, um, I think that was a long digression. <laughs> I don't know what I started out with. I, I think something about tenderness and, and, and kindness. But, you know, that's, that's really the danger of giving uh, a shrink uh, a free uh, a microphone, you know, especially a shrink who used to be helpless about words. She would just relish in it. Um, anyway, words are, 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 are it's, it's, it's my livelihood. It's my lifeline. So I use my words deliberately. Uh, That's what I was saying. I use my words deliberately and carefully. So I said, how do we practice kindness and wield tenderness? Because kindness takes work and discipline, willingness and generosity. It comes from living, caring, inhabiting your, your, your life experiences in a particular way, in a careful disciplined way. You cannot, for example, just say to a child, go be kind and expect him to get it right, you know, right away all the time. Just as you cannot tell a child, you know, go make beautiful music or go write a poem or go be a person. You have to show him the way, show him the skills, convince him of the commitment and help him, urge him to practice. Tenderness to wield tenderness, because tenderness is the domain, the work of warriors. Just as its opposite, which is cruelty, which is a lethal weapon, tenderness is also a weapon. It's an arm, challenging, requiring strength and skills and courage to use, to wield. I did not have that strength that emotional courage and was not willing to wield my tenderness when I was faced those years, those years ago, when I was faced with my father's grief, when he heard of the news of his father's death in Vietnam. And that moment I failed to pick up the armament, the weapon of tenderness. And my father was left to drown in his sorrow and terror in that moment. I did not wield tenderness, and so I left my father alone. I started this radio show with the question of what makes us human. I'm now ending the show with a plea for the urgency of practicing kindness and wielding tenderness. I urge you to consider the question of how do we learn, how do we train, commit to being kind and tender towards fellow human beings? How do we not dehumanize one another? Why is this an important, urgent question? (laughs) 
read the news, listen to Donald Trump or the Republicans. We are killing each other, emotionally but also literally, because we no longer have the skills or commitment to recognize each other's humanity. We are killing each other with cruelty and indifference, sometimes outright hatred or exploitation. We're dying of genocide, of mass shootings, of homelessness, of botched abortions, of poverty, and especially in America, of loneliness. We're destroying the earth, our home, our tiny spot of a home in the universe, because we do not care that it is our home, that it shelters our brothers and children, because we do not care that there are human beings inhabiting this earth, this bright loveliness that is a tiny spot floating in the universe, as Archibald MacLeish wrote about 50 years ago. We kill each other and turn away from each other because we do not dare take up the courage of loving that is required for tenderness. We have replaced the fierce devotion toward each other's beauty and vulnerability, the commitment to look, to recognize, to be with. We have replaced that fierce impulse for love and protection with the ugly, easy impulse towards our own fearfulness and greediness. We have replaced the impulse to guard with the impulse to grab. To reach the other human being requires that we reach from the core of our humanity because we cannot reach for what we do not see or do not want to see or do not care to see. We cannot seize on the human in the other person if we do not know of or take responsibility for the human in ourselves. Permit me to take a break now um, because the commercial thing is coming up and I wish to take a breath and I will find you very soon again. I'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. 
It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Let's look, shall we? At what happens when we begin our human existence? What happens in the very, very first moments? The first contact with life prompts us to cry. It's a request for something, contact, relief, something. And when that cry is met with a full contact with another human being, it transforms into something else. A relationship begins. A life can start. You see here how essential is the connection with another human in these first few minutes of life. These first few minutes hold the core of what launches us into life and what keeps us alive. To feel the warmth of human skin, to hear the heartbeat of another person, to know of the world through the sounds of that person's voice, to be held, to be touched, to be talked to, and to know through these moments of connection, to know of the other person's commitment to your well-being, to be the recipient of the other person's awe and tenderness towards your being, your life, your beautiful, fragile life. And I want you to look at human interactions in the world today and, and tell me how much of these elements we preserve What of other human beings do we have access to these days? And what of ourselves do we offer to other human beings? And I want you to think, to feel your way back again to what you seize on when you think about those first moments, when you hold a child, when you're confronted with human life at its purest, most fragile, and most formidable form. What happens naturally? unguardedly. Milan Kundera said, tenderness is the agreement that we have, you know, to create a tiny space where we treat each other like a child. I think that's what he meant. That is, to agree to let ourselves be in awe of the other. That tiny space where we commit ourselves to cherish and to protect just because the other person is a human being, just because he is related to us, 
just because that life before us is familiar in what it needs, in what threatens it, and yet also a total mystery in its particular unfolding and a great surprise and a delight in how it can touch us. You do not know what a child will say or do from one moment to the next. And even if you do anticipate, you don't know what will get touched off in you by that child. You do not know how you will be affected, what will happen next between you and her. But because it is a child, you stay, you pay attention, you commit your attention, and you allow for curiosity, and you open yourself to your capacity for delight. You make sure to hear what she has to say, and you make sure that she is okay before you move on. You even take note and observe on how the encounter affected you. And that is how the connective tissue between us humans gets preserved. That is how life continues on. Now, why do we not continue to be so with one another beyond childhood? Why can we not commit our attention to the humanity of another being? What happens now when we make contact with one another? What happens now, I think, is the opposite of what Milan Kundera describes of the tenderness that humans are capable of but are refusing one another. We now refuse or we have closed ourselves off from acknowledging the beauty and fragility of human life. Listen back to what moves in you when you face a child. The reaction contains a recognition of how awesome that life is. And the reaction also contains an acknowledgement of how much that life needs our commitment to safeguard. What happens along the way to where we are now, to the natural pledge of tenderness that we have towards children or as children? Along the way in our socialization, why and how do we give up on the offering of connection? Instead of opening our arms to welcome another being, instead of surrendering our senses to the touch, smell, sound of another being, how can we now insulate ourselves? How can we're so afraid of being touched? Everybody's hunkered down now in front of their devices, and people get startled when they get approached or touched. We get suspicious. We turn away when there is a cry that is not pleasant, when there is a gesture that calls for our vulnerability, when there is a sound that confronts us with some unfamiliar foreign land. What do we say now to one another when we cross paths? How do we look at one another now on the train, in the street, across the table? What do we show of ourselves to one another And what do we require of one another? How do we ask? How do we allow the other person to reach us? What do we mostly offer one another these days? I'm asking you. And don't laugh, you know, and and don't judge me for giving you this answer. It's it's, it's emojis. (laughs) They're the bane of my existence the pain of my heart, emojis, and this, you know, this thumbs up, thumbs down thing that I find on my screen. What is that about? Uh, How come we have surrendered 
the complexity, the subtlety, the unfathomable, endless, uncapturable depth of our emotional truth to a single freaking yellow circle. Why? Really? You know, this a uniform mass-produced yellow little circle is all that we, well, mostly what we offer to one another these days in our daily intercourse. No sound, no smell, no touch, no taste, no individuality, no self is attached to that, that, that communication. Um, it, 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 what is that? Like, oh, this is, this is who I am. This is what I show to you, this, you know, yellow circle that I pick out from 10 other circles. An, an emoji, uh, doesn't reveal much, does it? It creates no opening, no connection, because it negates that there exists any gap in you and the other person. It doesn't suggest or evoke any gap between your desire and 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 your request towards the other person. It's summarizing and and reducing and limiting the meaning of the desire of the request that you are issuing to the other person. And so it shuts off any effort. It discourages any effort for curiosity, for understanding. Because when you receive an emoji, what do you do? You just say, ah, yeah, sure. And when we, what I'm saying is when we, we, when we accept an emoji, I sound like a mad woman, don't I? Or maybe not. Maybe some of you understand what I'm talking about. When we accept an emoji, we agree to make no physical time, no emotional space, no moral effort, no spiritual commitment to be curious about the other human being. What do I mean by curious? This is important to me, too, that I wish to share with you. It may be of use. I mean by curious, I mean that I mean, the the fundamental disposition where you approach the other person as a mystery to discover, a lesson to learn from, a delight to partake in, or even a blow, potentially, that would open you up. But fundamentally, to be curious is to make time and create spaciousness in a way that allows for the other person to reveal herself to you and to allow yourself to be impacted upon, to be altered by her. Without that curiosity, that kind of spaciousness, there is little chance for what Kundera was talking about. There is little chance for the tiny space of tenderness to occur. Because if you don't take the time, if you don't make some space in your soul to look at the other person, you will not see anything of him, of his being. And therefore, you will not have any chance to make contact with and recognize his humanity. You will not be then affected by his being. And you will not think of offering anything of yourself to him or of receiving anything from him. The absence of that sense of curiosity and, and the failure to make allowance for the mutual impact between you, between us and the other person, is at the core, at the roots of the disconnectedness and the epidemic of loneliness that is currently raging in America. We do not connect with each other because we are not curious any longer about the person in front of us, next to us. And 
we also seem to be giving up on the effort, the desire to offer ourselves. What we do is we numb it out with drugs. What we do is we make some pathetic effort or attempt to convey our desire, our longing through, through these emojis. So this absence of curiosity makes it possible to dehumanize each other. That's what an emoji is. It's not human. It's not you. We are able to turn away from the other person to make ourselves dumb and deaf and mute, oblivious, indifferent, unaffected, because to start with, we forfeit on curiosity. You know, that moment on the beach in Malaysia, I felt dehumanized because I I thought I had made no impact, none whatsoever on the soldier. And it wasn't just the language barrier that made him unreachable. I couldn't reach him because in, in my being, in my personhood, you know, um, he didn't move. He didn't make any. There was no recognition. Look at what is most monstrous about Donald Trump. It's the utter lack of curiosity about other human beings. And that lack of curiosity is directly linked to the lack of concern and the absence of growth throughout his presidency so far. Well, there's been some growth, you know, his waistline, but that doesn't count. Look at young children. Look at what is the most unstoppable, irrepressible force in them, the force that propels them through the day towards people, forward, forward, onward. It's their curiosity, right? What's that? What are you doing? What's your name? How does it work? In young children, one of the most dire and telling indicator that that something has been derailed is the lack of curiosity. When a child doesn't show curiosity, you will inevitably detect a lack of attachment, a lack of learning. And when you see a lack of curiosity, there's always some kind of trauma. Now, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about, you know, organic Uh, factors here, but just in regular cases. There's always some kind of trauma, some kind of breakdown that preceded that death of curiosity. And from, from this lack of curiosity, the person essentially says to others, to the world, you are irrelevant to me. There is nothing in you that I need to reach for. There is nothing of me that you can alter. My evolution does not depend on you. I do not need to find out how much more I can be, how much more I can have and know of this life. I do not need to find out how we are a part of each other or even how we are apart from each other. That person also says to herself from that place of no curiosity, I'm not connected to anything outside of myself. I'm self-defining, self-sustaining. I am complete, finished. So curiosity about other humans is an engine for learning, for growth, for love. And by the way, you know, autism is one of the most challenging, right, intractable disorder of childhood. And the cornerstone of autism is the lack of curiosity about other human beings. The bridge that we take for granted, all of us, is not there in autistic children. And without that bridge... Connection is a challenge. 
The tragedy of severe trauma, as I described at length this past summer, is in the case of uh, my patients, uh, Mr. Le and Raj, pseudonyms here, the tragedy is the killing off of curiosity, of desire toward other human beings. Because for these men, for people who have been so burned, disappointment um, has so undone them, hollowed them out, that curiosity is a luxury, even a great danger. Because trauma opens up a gash in you. And to cope with it, to survive that gash, that fissure, it is natural to hunker down, to close it up, to bandage it up. In order to manage all the intense, threatening emotions, most prominently in the category of pain, in the range of fear and grief, it's natural to shut down, to pull down the shutters and pull up the drawbridge and retreat behind an insulated, fortressed life. You know, it's to a burn victim. Heat and light are painful, and open air presents a risk uh, for infection. So desire and curiosity are like the open air and light and heat to trauma victims. To people who have been damaged by a traumatic disappointment or terrible deprivation or have been shattered by severe loss, opening themselves up to desire is risky and painful because it exposes them to the unpredictability and potential disappointment of life. And stepping into curiosity about other people, about life, even about themselves, would mean to consciously remember that there is more that they want and need and know that people can provide. To be curious would mean to intentionally acknowledge that they are not a complete, finished, isolated, insulated, self-defining entity, that they would need more than just Fox News. And to open themselves to the risk of being inadequate, disappointed, overwhelmed, or undone by the answer that comes back from the other human being, from life. But to be curious would also mean to agree to go for the possibility of being met, of hearing another person's heartbeat, of being held by another person's gaze, of learning from another person, and of being held up and pulled forward into the community of humans by the knowledge that you are connected to other humans and that you are a part of this rich raging, pulsing, unpredictable, generous, amazing river that is life. So there is a lot that moves inside this mindset that is curiosity. The absence of it tells you about a damage in the person's being, a derailment in his existing. Its absence leads to a refusal to look, to see, to ask questions, to be on a quest towards life, towards other people. Its absence leads to a lack of recognition and thus a short way to the withering of kindness and to the refusal of tenderness. Let me break for now. I'll be right back.
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. You know, what frights me the most about the man in the White House as I told you, is his complete lack of curiosity. That lack is, to me, really the core disturbance. You know, when he was first elected, I was not totally alarmed. You know, I said, all right, fine, it's fucked up. But then, what, it's been so fucked up in this country since, what, Gore versus Bush. So, let's let's just see what will happen. But during the transitional period, you know, when people were trying to prep the president-elect about what he was going to take on, I was so struck by his pronouncement that he didn't need to learn anything, that he already knew everything that was necessary to know, that scared me. And that continues to scare me. Uh, I have yet to see evidence of any curiosity, of any real question that comes out of our president. Uh, Except for one, apparently recently in in the meeting, he said uh, to the new Speaker of the House, he said, Nancy, why do they all want to impeach me? (laughs) Well, you agree, right? That's not real curiosity. Now, in my years of, of working with people in in their project of healing and growing and learning to be more human, I know that defeat is in the works when the patient would insist that he already knows everything. When I'm confronted with a refusal to be curious, a death of questioning, or a refusal anyway, at least. When I see that, I always 
inevitably eventually discover a history of damage somewhere along the way. I know that I'm dealing with terror that is masked as arrogance and with tremendous unmet longing that is dismissed through greed and overconfidence. And I know I have to deal with a future of of a lot of damaging and sabotaging stagnation. You know, because damaged, uncurious people go around to inflict damage onto themselves and to others around them. And they are dangerous because they keep themselves impervious and impenetrable to other human beings, to life. They are dangerous because they lack the sense of curiosity that is required for mutual recognition and growth as a member of the human species. It's all linked, you know. The lack of curiosity is all linked up with lack of friendship, with the suppression of of tenderness and the, the atrophy of kindness. Lack of curiosity often masquerades as strength and self-sufficiency, but it actually is the cloth of fear and brokenness and emptiness. It's saying, I don't need to know because I can't bear to find out what I don't know because I'm afraid I may be undone by the reality of you, you who are different from me, you who may have something that I don't have, you who may offer me something that would then confirm my lack. And to take you in would require that I acknowledge my hunger and my vulnerability. So to shore up a false sense of power and self-sufficiency, to deny your vulnerability, to mask over your imperfect, throbbing, fragile humanity, the humanity that awaits the tenderness of another human being, you push away your curiosity and desire. You put up a wall. You're surprised that America now is brought to a standstill this week because of a wall? Well, do not be. That wall is the concretization of the fear and damage of the man who leads America. That wall is the direct concrete result of his psyche and the psyche of many millions of Americans who support him. That wall is needed in order to confirm his false sense of power and to shore up his delusion that he knows everything he needs to know in being a human being or a commander-in-chief. There is a cancer rotting right now inside the U.S. of A., But instead of looking at it, of finding the strength and the grace to bear it, and of letting the light enter through our woundedness, we go for the solution of closing off, of insulating ourselves, and of sealing ourselves shut from the outside world. And that wall, therefore, is a primitive, concrete, delusional, desperate defense mechanism against the fear and against the interconnectedness among us. And that wall, that primitive defense mechanism, is creating damage and is bringing thousands of American families to their knees and possibly to to the food pantry and bankruptcy courts and foreclosure and so on and so forth because money is running out to feed people who are in need, you know, and people are not getting paid, as you know. But that is how it works with these damaging defense mechanisms that are wielded by damaged people. Let me take a detour into the topic of friendship here as we end. Bear with me. Hopefully you will grasp what I'm trying to say and do. Now, along with the rise of loneliness is a decline in the use of the word friendship. You know that? 
in uh, the common uh, use of, of that word has been steadily declining since the 19th century. Interesting, right? In, in an age where we're all connecting and making friends. Um, recently, you know, because of, of this show, I was strongly urged to get on social media. And so I get many requests for friends. And I must confess, it's completely overwhelming and, and, and confusing. You know, why? How? How do these people think and decide and imagine that, that we should or could be friends? And when I say yes, and this causes me a lot of stress, what am I saying yes to? What is my responsibility towards the people that I say yes, I confirm, blah, blah? What is the contract between us? And, and what is the need that is being fulfilled what do I do after I accept a friend request? At the start of this series, I anchored my questions in the line by Rumi who said, the wound is where the light enters. Now, as I end the series, I wish to pair Rumi with Khalil Gibran who said, friendship is a sweet responsibility, never an opportunity. This statement helps capture what I'm trying to say about kindness and tenderness, the sweet responsibility that we humans have towards one another. You know, Gibran wrote a longer poem on the subject of friendship, and in it, he, he, um, he, it, it captures with much more heart and wisdom what I'm trying to say. So may I share some bits of that long poem with you uh, to, to communicate what I'm longing for? Your friend is your needs answered. He is your field which you sow with love and reap with thanksgiving. He is your board and your fireside. For you come to him with your hunger and you seek him for peace. When your friend speaks his mind, you fear not the nay in your own mind, nor do you withhold the a. And when he is silent, your heart ceases not to listen to his heart. And let there be no purpose in friendship save the deepening of the spirit. Let your best be for your friend. For what is your friend that you should seek him with hours to kill? Seek him always with hours to live. For it is his to fill your needs, but not your emptiness. You know, other people are our sweet responsibility, not opportunity. Seek your friends with hours to live, not with hours to kill. Your friend, that human being before you, is there to answer your needs, not to fill your emptiness. The spirit of friendship, of brotherhood, the connectedness among us is being corroded because we're ignorant or neglectful of that sweet responsibility. We are diminishing ourselves and shitting on what we long for and pissing on what we can offer each other by our tendency to see each other almost exclusively as opportunities and not see the responsibility. What do I mean by opportunity? I want to say a little bit about the, the opportunism that abounds now among us. You know, when we look at the other person as an opportunity, there is no curiosity, only hunger 
hunger and neediness that is rooted in the question of, what can you do for me? How can I get you to do X, Y, Z for me? You know, and, and the thing that you assign and seek from the other person is determined by your own lack, your need in the moment. But it's not driven by curiosity. It's driven by deprivation, by neediness. And so it is limited in its imagination and reach. And therefore, what you get back will be limited because you approach the other person with a sense of opportunism. Because you approach her as a commodity, you ask her to give you what you lack to fill what you are empty of. You do not ask her to expand your imagination or to touch on and and expand the boundaries of your world. You do not allow her then the chance to offer you her being, but merely to provide a commodity, an opportunity. So these requests on social medias or in networking or in online dating and so on, these connections that we issue forth nowadays they are the supreme exemplification of this culture of, of commodification, this, this, this mindset of opportunity and not of responsibility. You know, I uh, realize we only have two minutes left. I have much more to say, but let me just end with one of my favorite passages to share with you what I'm trying to say again. This is from Michael Andaje, you know, um, and there was one small passage where he said, this was from the, uh, the English patient, we die containing a richness of lover and tribes, tastes that we have swallowed, bodies we have plunged into and swum up as if rivers of wisdom, characters we have climbed into as if trees, fears we have hidden in as if caves. I wish for all this to be marked on my body when I'm dead. I wish for such cartography to be marked by nature, not just to label ourselves on a map like the names of rich men and women on buildings. We are communal histories, communal books. All I desire is to walk upon such an earth that has no maps. I Leanne would like to add for myself to you that I desire to walk upon an earth that has no walls so that we can see and hear each other so that we are permitted to say to each other, let me be with you. We have to end now. I wish to find you all again next week as we are saying goodbye. And I hope you take care of one another. Until then, bye-bye for now. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.